Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast, all things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. My name's Eric, with me is my co-host Robert. Hello. And we are here. It's the tournament season's winding down. We have only a few events, but there's uh, quite a bit to discuss, actually, and a couple of discussions uh, as we've done extensive research after the WCW, which is uh, code for, I got a lot of time at work to listen to podcasts, but it was interesting to hear a wide cross-section and some discussions of what's going on. We're also spending our time anxiously awaiting not only Santa Claus, but um, the balanced data slate. Uh, chances are we may be getting it this week, hopefully. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah, I have no inside knowledge of it. Um, obviously, as we get closer to the Christmas break, um, I did get some semi insider knowledge that most of the people that make those kind of decisions will be gone. Um, they have, I guess, two weeks off for the for Christmas there at Chain Games Workshop. So, um, how do I know that? Well, um, interesting. If you remember last year, they uh, you had a chance to win a golden ticket to go to the WCW. And not only was that at Games Workshop events, but also maybe an event that you're running as well. Well, if you'd like to do that, have your event step up to the plate. Be able to be the Willy Wonka who gives out uh, golden tickets to your players. Now's the time to apply. Uh, the application process has begun. And uh, make sure to contact Games Workshop. Uh, most of you have probably already seen that in the... Um, it's the Facebook group for uh, tournament organizers. So hop in. Now's your chance to put your best foot forward. So what you're saying is, Eric, I need to go schlep a bajillion emails to be like, hey, GW, support me, please. I don't know if it's about a billion, but uh, maybe one or two. Just make sure you uh, get them in and show, hey, this is why our event uh, stands out. And um, hopefully uh, you're one of the chosen ones. It could also be, you know, what I've seen is some events get uh, golden tickets. Other tickets, you know, get uh, not all the golden tickets are um, created equally, from what I understand. So some include uh, airfare and lodging. Others are just uh, permission to get in. So, Well, either way, I don't have the time or the patience to do that. So I'm not going to worry about it. No, it's a great opportunity if you can do, you know, if your event is ready to go. And um, so it'll be pretty exciting. But uh, speaking of events that perhaps uh, be in that area, um, it's back, folks, uh, coming back for its 10th season. And that would be the Scorched Earth Open. I was super excited to do this. So um, basically, uh, pulling up the dates now and getting because I just got the other announcement so if you're hearing this um, as of it's going to be April 6th and 7th of 2024 so it's a little bit later usually we had it in February but uh, it's going to be 80 players and so, uh, already in the first 24 hours we've already sold I don't say I keep saying we I should I need to clarify that the, the tournament has already sold 32 tickets in the first 36 hours so that if you want to get a ticket, now's the time to do it. Once again, it will be a fundraiser for a local high school. And this time, it's actually a little more central. It's going to be in, it's actually near the airport. So those of you coming from out of town actually have a great opportunity to be um, Creighton Academy, which is just 10 miles north of, or 10 minutes north of Sky Harbor Airport. 
So, uh, ideal location almost actual Phoenix. Yep, and the Scorched Earth Open has been probably by far my favorite event to go to because of the fact that it's the first major event I got my butt kicked at. So, <laughs> kind of good core memory right there. Yeah. I'm a little bit fond of it as well, and uh, but I just want to clarify, it's, it's just kind of forced to happen, we and all those. So yes, um, I'm supporting it, and hope you all get a chance to attend. It is a fantastic event, but uh, yeah, I have taken a step back from the um, organizing of the larger tournaments. So basically, should be something you're concerned about? Absolutely not. Um, if you enjoyed yourself at Smite Club uh, in the fall, you're going to love your time at Scorched Earth. The same crew that ran Smite Club Open is running uh, Scorched Earth, and uh, expect nothing but fantastic terrain and a great time for everyone there. So, for the event, uh, I'm looking forward to it if I can go uh, as a player. It's part of me is like, there's a GT in my backyard, possibly a major. Um, I'm going to jump on that, but I have to double check, I believe because we just got notice from my kids hockey team that um, how close is that to President's Day weekend? Uh, let me do live checking for you because that's what we do on this show. That's right. So um, April da, 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 6th and 7th is as far as I can tell not anywhere near President's Day as far as my calendar checking skills to dictate. Okay. Phew. Okay. We're supposed to be in uh, <laughs> in Nashville for a tournament that weekend. So, okay. looks like I can make it. So I'm very excited. I'll be buying my ticket. Yay! Eric can come play. Eric can come right. play. It's Looking a forward. great year. <laughs> so uh, both of us were kind of talking about, okay, we're ready to play. Uh, but are we ready to play? Our armies are both in a bit of shambles at the moment. And one's by choice, one's only because you haven't had time. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, biggest issue I'm running into, and I'm still trying to figure this out, because it's one of those, it's like, we are just talking about it before the show. I painted by Trikari years ago. The first batch turned out great. And then as we got to the countdown, oh, meta shifted. I need to quickly... Add a few quick units um, to right before LVO. Those kind of got a crappy paint job. And then I said, okay, now I've got some newer units. Or I'm gonna actually, what it was is this, I got these units that are, you know, not great. But with the new codex come out, who knows? And sure enough, they was the right thing to do. They got a uh, quite the glow up. So I attempted a new painting style, which I absolutely love. And the good news is they look much better than the old models. Unfortunately, the primary color, the orange, uh, doesn't quite match. <laughs> so now i got to figure out, do I skip it, the new method, or do I figure out how to use the old orange and use some dilutions to um, somehow recreate the a contrast type paint? Because it's not even the GW brand of paint. <laughs> And because uh, that's the, the key to this new method is um, uh, using contrast baits. So I'm like, I don't know what to do. Well, I'm going to say the easier thing to do is paint everything and then go back and repaint that one thing. Or you can mentally block it out and go, it matches, it matches, it matches and never touch it again. Yeah, thinking um, 
I may do what, yeah, take your suggestion on that. Just go back and paint Because some of the stuff is like, yeah, it's painted, but there's some other things I'd like to touch up on. There's some other details that kind of got rushed. And um, so, yeah, that's this. also the painting log will get larger, but um, part of me thinks it's well overdue. Part of these things where you should only have to paint your armies once, but part of me is like, you, you're stuck with your army for life, so make sure it looks good. Mm-hmm. And as you listen to this episode, and as you might see later tonight, given you actually look to our Facebook posts, there will be some work-in-progress stuff of my custodians as I attempt to make something look like sandstone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you took the uh, arduous task of saying, you know what? My custodians need a new paint job. Yeah, yeah. That was a mistake. <laughs> but it's a happy mistake. But what I've seen so far, they look really cool. So I can't wait to see what the final product looks like. But yes, um, along with some of the happy news of the local area, we get to see some more stuff kind of pop up on the random advent calendar of things that won't come out for like two years. Hmm. Yeah, it was a couple couple things. Also, I'm kind of like, when is this um, going to show up? Because I'm also very concerned about just Games Workshop just keeping things in stock. It seems to be a big issue. But anyway. Yeah. So from the ones that they've shown off since last week with the minefield, um, one of them looks like an antler or a tree branch. Uh, another one looks like it's some kind of servo skull attached to some kind of mechadendrite. Then there's a fur coat. There's no way that's not a fur coat. It could have some purity seals on it. Um, another one is some makeshift wooden catapult. It has one little pointy thing that reminds me very much of the snake bites symbol from Dot Orcs. The easiest one is the one from the sixth thing they've shown off. That's a that's a demon hand with a book of Nurgle. <laughs> like, mm. There's no getting away from that. Yeah, a couple of them like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And there's a couple of them like, I have not, not a clue what this is going to be. And I was kind of hoping that some of them would have popped up on the uh, Black Library reveal, but yeah, not so. <laughs> not at all. Although that that new war boss model that they showed off though, um Uthak. Oh man. Yeah, he's pretty cool. I like how he's stepping on the squigging the squig off uh the stop squig off the uh, aiming squig. That's really funny. Targeting squig, that, that's what I'm trying to say. Yep. I mean that squig is trying real hard. He's got his tongue out and everything and he's making a good aiming pedestal. Yeah, it was a pretty cool looking model. I was like, wow, that's pretty uh, pretty smooth. But nonetheless, mm -hmm. yeah, another work. I'm like, yep. <laughs> hey, man. He is the big DACA. You don't question it. That's true. <laughs> but we can chirp on about previews and tinfoil hat stuff. But we have some events to cover. It wasn't um it wasn't a very large menu this week. No, no, it was a little on the small side. But we we know we're hitting into kind of the the calm before the storm that is LVO. So 
So, eeny, me, miny, mo, we're going to start over in Massachusetts or whatever state the winter assault major at the Everwinter was in. Because, don't trust me, bad geography. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> All right. What do we got for a top five? All right. And in fact, I was right. It is Massachusetts. Ha. So the top five rounded out to be Colin Burns with Votan. Fourth place is Charles Burgard with Chaos Space Marines. Third place is Brad Chester with Ultramarines. Second place is Samuel Pope with Tyranids. And then first place, Mr. Sean Naden. Yeah, he's back. With orcs. Nice. Nice to see him get out for a little while. I was a little concerned that he might be, there's kind of a rumor that he might be retiring. He just was, but, um, you know, it's kind of in his backyard there a little bit. So I'm glad to see him get out there. That's pretty cool. Yep. I'm just so used from the good old history days of when I got into the seeing Sean Nane with Eldar. Once again, Sean Nane with Eldar. And oh, yeah, Sean Nain works. Just, yeah, that just makes sense. Like, yeah jerk with Eldar. So this list is definitely something to behold. It has six bikes in it, a couple of knobs, some mega knobs, some Gretchen, a battle wagon, a truck, one big brick of boys, a mega war boss, a normal war boss, yet another normal war boss, a third war boss on top of that, a knob with a wah banner, Moss Rock Scrag Bag, Gazgo Thraka, and a Beast Boss on the Squigasaur. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight characters. Well, good luck with assassination, but yeah. Mm. I don't even know what he was getting up to with that, but oh man, each of those characters hits like a truck. That was my next question is yeah, are they support or how's that, you know? Them and others, just he's just because that's kind of how he ran his Eldar list is you find two or three souped up characters and then the rest of the arm, and then the characters comes in and does the killing, and then the rest of the army plays the mission. So it sounds like he's doing that to some of the orc side of things. Yeah, it looked like he was bringing minimum size units to attach characters to, like the. In total, he had five Mega Knobs. I know one of them was probably for the Warboss and Mega Armor. So that way it stayed a three-man. It didn't jump up to a four-man kind of thing for, for space and stuff. Um, as far as I know, Gazgol can't join anything because he's massive. Uh, and then the Beast Bosses on Squigasaur are pretty standalone as far as I know. I'll have to look at orcs deeper again to see if I can make heads or tails of it. But otherwise, to me, it's just some lost formula that would probably kick my butt. <laughs> yeah, one of the things that's always kind of the legend of Sean Naden there is he makes these lists and he wins with these lists. And you're like, oh, all right, I'm going to list this list. And you go, like, well, I have no idea what the heck I'm supposed to do with this. <laughs> Yeah, it's just something he he's able to continue to be successful with, and that's really cool. He says he'll do that by switching factions, so pretty cool. Well, I mean, he's been playing for a long time, and he's super skilled with at 
with a handful of armies, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, very cool. Glad to see you pull up. Shows the guy still got it. So, mm-hmm. But from there, we take a hop, skip, and a jump over to North Carolina for the Witch Trials GT. It's one of the coolest names we've had for a GT in quite some time. Yep. And do, 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 do. Yep, put on some kind of club and a whole bunch of different awards. But the top five rounded up to be John Casey with Chaos Face Marines. Fourth place is, excuse me, that was a bad dinner. Uh, fourth place is Duncan Blum with Black Templars. And third place is J.D. Carter with Imperial Knights. Second place is Patrick LeBlanc with Chaos Space Marines. And in first place is Nick Koshrain with Space Wolves. So I've been hearing about this. Uh, Ray was watching this on War Games Live, and he says, Space Wolves. He says, Space Wolves defeated an Eldar player. And I was just like, what? How does that happen? Not saying the Eldar are completely infallible, but it's just interesting matchup. Just, so I have not had a chance to go back and watch the game. But if I understand, uh, Twitch games are usually still on stream for for replay for a couple days. So let's see if I can catch that tomorrow. Yeah, and taking a look at the roster, it's in that Stormlance Task Force, so the Mounted Riders Detachment, and um, Harold Deathwolf, some a whole lot of Wolfguard battle leaders and Wolf Lords on Thunder Wolves. Yeah, he laid whole hog into those things. Uh, two Eliminator squads, an Inceptor squad, an Infiltrator squad, 18 Thunderwolf cavalry. Nice. And then a drop pod and three Gladiator Lancers. Um, well, two Gladiator Lancers and a Reaper. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I... I don't know what to make heads or tails of that. Because it the when it shows the Lancers, it only shows them with their Storm Bolters, their Rocket Pods, and their Iron Hail Heavy Stovers. Don't the Lancers usually come with, like, a, a big laser turret? That's what I'm, th- I'm trying to get. So I'm in my head going, do I have the wrong Gladiator in my head at this point? Or uh, I have to double check it. And I, of course, the uh, phone with all my... Uh, GW stuff is in the other room. <laughs> well, luckily enough, my phone is within reaching distance. So, Gladiator Lancer, you are right about there. Yeah, it's we're thinking of the same one. It has uh, a big old laser turret on it normally. Okay. Um, yeah, no. It doesn't show the main gun, because I guess you can't mess with it. And then the Reaper is the one with the um, the Gatling guns, so that one puts out more shots, but they aren't as powerful. You know, and that's something to look at, because I'm wondering, what if, is the meta shifting away from vehicles at this point? I, I've kind of felt it has since we've started seeing more and more lists come into the fray where they're higher mobility, they get to walk through buildings, 
because with GW standard layouts becoming more and more of a thing. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> uh, vehicles can't exactly go through buildings. Yeah, good point. So yeah, with the that you know maybe with the higher you know higher density, I guess is the best way to describe it. Um, mm-hmm. Of terrain that maybe vehicles aren't as necessary. Well, from playing with my custodians, I can tell you that when I have my grav tanks floating around in the back line, I have run into two missions so far where my grav tanks are able to float into the middle of the table. All the other times, they have to float around things. Hmm. So they don't get to shoot things that I need to. They don't get to take care of answers. They just turn into giant paperweights. It was kind of like the game I had on Friday with my opponent. He had uh, two war walkers and two uh, fire prisms. And he kind of put both of them. Basically, the, the war walker went, went in front and kind of blocked so I couldn't charge it. And then the two fire prisms kind of sat in the corners. And use, we were using uh, GW layout number one. So you got those long fire lanes if along the side. We're doing hammer and anvil uh, deployment. So, But it was one of those, okay, if I go down after him, I'm going to get shot. But if I go in the middle, he had very limited sight lines. So it was kind of like, huh. So yeah, he took out a couple units very early on because I was going after um, some secondaries there in his deployment zone. After that, the rest of the game played out in the middle and he had to actually move them out to, to get, at least get some shots off. So we into something, yeah, that it's the lack, you know, the, as the train gets more used, yeah, may not be as much room to get around. Yeah, so it's a... I've accepted the fact that we will most likely see the the meta change to here's either a bajillion infantry or here's several really durable infantry and then if you bring a vehicle the vehicles are for a very specific purpose because i could tell from that space wolf list sure the thunderwolf cavalry hit like trucks but sometimes you need the range game so you don't sacrifice your charging pieces from bad positioning to try and go and get a charge. The other thing you got to remember too, though, is all those Thunderwolf Cav, they, they're not infantry. They're mounted. So they're going to walk around. They, they can't go through walls like infantry does. So I think you're still on to something with the heavier infantry. And I'm, that's why I'm kind of interested to see what you come up with with your custodies. And of course, we're all waiting anxiously for the uh, updated data slates, there's a good chance that you could see a, a price drop in some of those custodian units. So, Oh, buddy. If they drop prices on custodians, mm, I'm going to be so happy. <laughs> but I don't think they're going to. I don't know. I'd like to think they'll do it, but we'll see. Nah, they'll just make your, your raiders and your ravagers five points, and then you'll be the terror of the table. Hmm. That would be nice, but don't see that happening. <laughs> um, I'd be curious what they do. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, hard to even speculate at this point. So, because there's basically what's wrong with the codex isn't really a points issue. So that's mm-hmm. kind of like, 
Um, are we going to do what they did for um, AdMac and then just go nuts and um, change our attachment? I could see that, that would be a big difference. So, Yeah, but either way, I'm just hoping that I can get a lot of painting done over this next week. So that way I'm a little less stressed out about painting stuff for LVO. Yeah, I'm not sure. My biggest things. Apparently, uh, we're doing a small RTT on the thirtieth. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> uh, I guess I gotta work on some terrain. <laughs> well, I mean, I have my terrain to assist in things, so that's a little less pressure on you bringing stuff for. As I believe it's called Festivus for the rest of us. I think so. I think that's what he came. The name he came up with. <laughs> Mark F, we love you. You're silly, but that's a little on the red nose there, buddy. Yep. <laughs> so, I did work on quite a bit today. So, um, got all went back and found some classic designs and updated them and added a little more details. So now it's just a matter of uh, uh, which I call it, cutting them out and gluing them to the bases. So, in good shape. Yep. But other than that. There's nothing really else going on in the competitive world besides people trying to figure out the new meta before it's actually happened. Yeah, um, the Elder Army list is definitely in line with that new meta. Um, interesting enough, not a single uh, what's it a warps? No, what's it called? Whips, light spinner. That's what it's called uh, in the list. So that, I thought that was interesting. Uh, he did have two units of uh, warp spiders, which actually they did work. They were unbelievable. So um, between torrents, they're automatically hitting, and each one of them D6 shots. I mean, he was just annihilating stuff left and right. Just weight of dice. He could just rip through things pretty quickly. And uh, so that was an issue. And then, of course, once the uh, Avatar King gets into your lines, it's, it becomes a, a major problem. <laughs> so. Oh, I'd imagine. I know my last game against Eldar... Um, lucky enough, we weren't using the updated damage reduction rules. So the incarn shows up, I get it down to two wounds, it kills my Cleus tank, the Cleus tank blows up to take down the incarn. If we were using reduced damage rules, ooh, man, I would have lost the game. Yeah. So, yeah, my biggest thing was just, uh, I think where it came down to is I, was, I made a poor choice of going for some secondaries and so i moved some of my uh simple units like i have uh you know how you split the cabalite warriors and the ones with all the dark light go into the venom and then, of course i got the rest of the crew with all splinter rifles just hanging out in reserve so they came out in reserve and rather than move blocking the avatar i was like oh no i will investigate signals and collect an extra four points or actually two points i think for that corner big mistake i was so mad at myself later on i was like why did i do that but whoopsies uh, yeah i didn't also expect that the avatar could slice through three talos in a single combat phase so that was pretty rough yeah because the taloses are minus one damage and also a feel no pain right correct not even i could do that rude <laughs> yep and t7 too so it's just like oh what the heck yeah he ripped right through him and uh, so that was pretty ugly so, oh well. But uh, there is one other topic I wanted to bring up, and uh, 
like I mentioned, had done a ton of research over the uh, last week or so. Uh, nice uh, advantage of the job. I'm in the car a lot, so I get to listen to a lot of podcasts. And a lot of the content creators that were at WCW are now back and they're recording their episodes. And normally it'd be like, what if I heard one? I just went, went, okay, whatever. When you hear it twice, you go, hmm, okay. When you hear it five times from people with different perspectives and different reasons for being at WCW, it becomes an interesting point. And then the last thing was I was watching one, um, one of my favorite shows on the History Channel, which was uh, the toys that made America. And they, they brought out one of the toys they were talking about. And then just why was it successful? And they brought up one of the key points. And I was like, huh, maybe that's something Games Workshop needs to invest in. So anyway, the two key things. So just to give you an idea, as, as we always prided ourselves, even when day one, when Ray came to me and says, I'd like to do a 40K podcast, we want to be more news oriented. So I will cite my sources. So we're talking about uh, stat check. So we've got three players from there that are WC, uh, WTC's veterans. So used to playing the European players at the top of the game. So then I listened to... Uh, Advanced Warfare, which are some of the top players from the Midwest, so may not be WTC as experienced, but they're no slouches either to competitive play. Then I listened to another, uh, also another one of their programs, and they actually interviewed one of the judges who was at WCW. And it's not a new judge. He's actually been in the game as long as I have. As a matter of fact, um, he came on to 11th Company years ago when we interviewed him about his event in um, and he's one of the first to use Warhammer to uh, raise money for a school at the Bug Eater GT. But then this is where it gets interesting. I listen to, of course, um, TFG Radio, which is all the judges from LVO, and what they had to say about the event, because they had a hand in it as well. And then the final was um, Preferred Enemies, which they actually went to the narrative, but they got to speak to a lot of what was going on at the event as well. So now we're seeing a wide range of people at different skill levels, different experiences, but they had two key things they brought up that were common throughout the weekend. Number one, timekeeping of events, of games, and two, keeping score. So problem one, I guess, was keeping people on track. Now, we all know Games Workshop is not a fan of chess clocks. What they do instead is the judges come around and go, okay, we're at this point in the round. You should be at this stage of the game. They have certain milestones. I tried that, I think I want to say two Scorched Earths ago. And the biggest problem I had with that is if you walk up to a table and go, hey, you guys should be on turn two or turn three or top of three, and they look at you like, yeah, we're still in bottom of one. I'm kind of like, okay, now what? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can they speed up? Do they know how to speed up? Do I penalize them for not speeding up? Do I sit at this table and start pushing models around at their expense? I, what does that do? And that's actually some of the things that the judges brought up is what does that mean? Um, it got further along because I guess a lot of the European players are notorious for pre-measuring for like hours at a time. And I'm exaggerating for my point, but the idea is that they are, they, they want to measure the move and then they're actually, okay, next, after this turn, I'm going to moving again. So they're actually measuring two moves or three moves now to see if they're going to get where they're going to go. And that took up a tremendous amount of time. 
and the one of the judges from the event had a very good point about that. It's just like, we know you can play the game at the highest level. A lot of people can do that. What we want to see now is can you compete at the highest level within this time frame? Which reminds me of like a lot of those competitive cooking shows. Yeah, cooking this dish, not a problem. Cooking this dish in two hours for 50 people, very challenging. So that was kind of a, a constant issue of, and I guess one of the things that one of the other um, podcasts brought up as well is the fact that some of these players were now getting into lengthier games. At one point, one of the rounds was almost two and a half hours late. Like they started the game at 11 o'clock at night. Which was, yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, that's rough. Um, so it's just one of those things where is there a way to speed up the game? It, what do you do at this point? Honestly, it's kind of hard to say because I know at the little at my first RTT that I ran the other weekend, I had both sides of the coin where. I had players that played all five turns and they were done with like 30 minutes left on the clock. And then I had one round where my player, where those two players were at the bottom of turn two. Could you figure out, was it an army thing? Was it a deployment issue? Cause they had to spend too much time on deployment. What do you, I honestly think, the I think the issue was a combination of one of the players being kind of newer to tournaments and newer to the game in general, which they both did a good job of trying to accommodate for each other. But one person just played kind of slow, and that's understandable for newer players. The other one was really, really chatty and was kind of accidentally slow playing as far as I could tell with the way things ended up but it's hard to tell because I myself was playing in that event because it made it an even 10 players <laughs> yeah I've run into that as well in, in judging events so and also as a player sometimes like I know for a brief while there we were doing the team tournament so I was getting trying to get reps with uh, Demon Army and that back then the meta was the large block of 30 blood letters with a with a uh, banner so they got to pop a 3d6 charge coming out of reserves and usually a bad uh, scar brand in tow sort of side thing and i learned really quickly from practice that the turn the wave comes in you know the big push it's gonna be a long turn it's gonna be about a 45 minute turn because mm -hmm. moving models getting things set up lining up the charge all that it, it takes time and through practice, I got better at understanding, okay, it's okay that that turn lasts 45 minutes because the other turns will be shorter. So you don't need to, and when those, when to put the foot on the gas and go, those turns, how short do those turns need to be? So I can still get the game done in my allotted 90 minutes for the game. On the flip side, though, I've had issues with players, both as a judge and as a player, it's almost like, well, the clock hasn't started. We're only in deployment. Like, yeah, no, clock has started, dude. You've, you've got to speed the heck up here. <laughs> and um, that was some of the issues, especially when I was doing the um, milestone style. I come back around. It's like, you should have been done with deployment by now. 
And it says, you said it's a three-hour round. Yeah, that includes deployment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, the clock starts when I, when I announced it, which was when you arrived at your table. So there was no exceptions that round. Nobody was born 15 minutes. So there was this, sort of this weird, ambiguous, I don't know, I don't know why it wasn't because we have final island was clear, but for some reason those players thought, oh, we have extra time. And then it becomes the, how do you get the tournament back on track? So you don't want to make sure that these other people are derailing the rest of the group. So yeah, it's just these weird interactions like that. I feel like the game, you know, going back to their original mantra, simple, uh, simpler but not simplistic I think it was or something like that simplified but not simple there we go do you agree with that well it's a it's a misnomer in a funny way because sure the game is simplified because everything is attached to a keyword well what happens when you run into a simplified game and it has a specific set of interactions well there's no direct there's no direct answer for what makes it. Oh, hey, here's the answer for this complicated oops-a-daisies that we ran into. So there's rules disputes that can take a while. Um, there's nuances that can happen that are very one-off cases. But in general, it's a... The overall problem with the games taking forever is very much it's sometimes it's wow i've lost my train of thought there <laughs> um it's just a it's a whole bunch of different things that can come from different people and be affected by different things so there's there's no straight answer okay fair enough the second thing that came up was scorekeeping which is interesting so right off the bat out is is bombastic as the comment was and it's just typical for this particular uh, internet personality he's not called salty john for nothing uh, i would agree with him in my judging experience as well when there's a screw up in the in the scorecard 90 percent of the time they didn't use the app <laughs> and it was interesting why i brought up well why did you talk about the preferred enemies in they did the narrative track indeed but there's a hell of a lot more bookkeeping in the narrative track and only like two thirds of the players use the app to track it. So it became a bit of a nightmare in terms of who had what in their armies because it actually affects your army list actually changes as it goes through and collects experience points. Uh, same thing with, you know, those who come in with a dry erase board or pen and paper and they're, they're trying to figure out scoring and whatnot. And even on some of the live uh so we're looking for a Twitch broadcast. I'm looking at this like, look, I know I'm a sports guy, so I know used to it. It's time to take down the clutter. I don't need to know every any minute I look at the screen. Do I need to know how many command points they have? Just tell me what the score is, and then we'll you can flash those up later on and, and, and to keep the game flowing. So keeping score seems to be a major hurdle for players, especially. I don't know whether it's newer players or just disorganized players. Uh, I know. Did you run into that when you ran into your event as well? Well, yeah, yeah, I did. It was specifically that one round where the the game was not going at a fast enough pace. One player had 
was tallying up their score manually and they were using physical dice, good old classic fives and counting and all this other stuff. Whereas the other player was using the app for um, ITC battles and their scores were drastically different. Now that one I can understand because the newer player probably hasn't had a chance to really download and experience the app and get used to operating it. And the veteran player didn't really, wasn't super helpful in clarifying things whenever it was asked. So there was just general lack of communication. Mm. Okay. But I, I can definitely see where scorekeeping is an issue because of the fact that unless both players are both keeping track and they're both conversing about what scores are, things are going to get lost. Yeah. I, I can't emphasize that. You hit it right on the head. It's, no matter what system we're using, check with your opponent. Hey, is, just so we got it here, we're top of the turn. And what, I've got you at 26, and I have me at 17. Is that correct? Uh, no, I've got 38. Oh, how'd you do that? Okay, I'll, I'm, And a lot of times it is something I missed, you know, or something they missed as well. They're like, mm-hmm. Especially some of those secondaries where it's like you get two points for this, five points for that, and they gave themselves the five points. And like, uh, you had both? Oh, that's right. No, I only get three points or two points for that. So. Yeah, or the simplest oopsies where you have a good flow of the game going, you're like, yeah, da 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 you did this, you did this, that, I did this, I did that. And both of you are in understanding and you just forget to hit a couple buttons. Oh yeah. I, I am guilty of going, okay, the score is this and this. That doesn't sound right. Is that wrong? And it turns out that on one turn, I forgot to mark my opponent for their primary score, but I got their secondaries. What I do a lot of times when I make, when I do make a mistake is the, Oh, you, oh, wait, that was what you did on turn three. I put that on turn two. Let me fix that. <laughs> you know, somehow I got the score. And so then all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, you're right. So then instead of scoring them no points for one round and 10 points for another round, it was actually five and 10. So that makes a big difference in the overall score. Yeah, so it's, I think the main thing that comes down to it is just communication between players. Like it's, it's good to chit chat and have fun narrative discussions on like all right yeah hey dude what what I, how much time did you take to do your bellicor kit bash oh yeah no it took me like a solid month da, 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 da. Yeah. but i'm still standing there and measuring and rolling dice and pointing at stuff like it's you can multitask indeed yeah that's a that's a great example you can still keep going keep the conversation moving and but for whatever reason, sometimes that comes to a crashing halt. So yeah, keep going, keep playing the game so you can play well doing that. So yeah. And something that I will say is don't be afraid that when your opponent, like if you and your opponent are having a really good chit chat and it's halfway through your second turn and then you realize it's been an hour, don't be afraid to politely tell your opponent like, Hey, um, we gotta cut down the chit chat a little bit because it's already been an hour. We only have an hour and a half, and we're still on turn two. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one there. 
So as I mentioned, I was watching um, Toys That Built America, and one of the things they brought up was when the we're talking about the history of Trivial Pursuit. And um, by the way, if you ever watch this show, this will convince you never to get into the gaming industry as a designer. Holy cow, what these people went through to make these games is just insane. But anyway, um, one of the things they said was ingenious about the game is you keep score. You've got this little pie thing, and then as you win categories, you get uh, slices of pie, and you can quickly look at the score, you know, at the table and in the game state, know exactly who's winning. So I was kind of like, huh, that's interesting. Wouldn't that be cool if Games Workshop came up with some sort of scoring token? You know, you see a lot of these on Etsy, but all they do is spin dials or something like that. Something where you have tokens that you can just put in and you can keep score together. That way, as yeah, as as I'm putting my tokens in, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, he scored that. I know exactly where he left off. And then the next person puts theirs in. So that way, both players, as well as the judge walking by, can see, like, hey, what's the score? And what round are you on? That sort of thing. Like, the, the way that I see that working is it's actually something that could be really useful for people that go to team style events where they use the differential scoring because yeah. at that point it's it could be like a a weighted scale kind of idea where initially the the scale starts evenly but then as points get added on the scales start tipping one direction or the other well i think it's also for teams it would be great because that's always a problem is that the, the um, coach comes over and he goes hey what's the score and has to kind of consult with their player and then that could actually slow the game down because then you have this sidebar conversation that granted the coach can ironically cannot actually coach the player but at least he can say you need to push forward we need more points because you know eric's down by 16 he was only supposed to be down by eight uh, we need those points push 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 now he just looks at the scoreboard and he goes oh that's what's going on yeah we need you to push <laughs> mm -hmm. and Honestly, I could see GW taking this idea, and if they want to get more use out of their app than just list building, potentially add in a play function of a kind where it does that simple scorekeeping thing. You, okay, out of 100 points, each person starts with zero, and you tap either side of your phone screen or tablet screen to move the scoring needle in your direction. And it does that kind of swaying back and forth. So that way it points to, oh yeah, Robert is winning by five points and it's in turn four, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the perfect world, what I really wanted was a tablet at every table and it has the um, ITC battles app on it. That'd be amazing. And then it broadcast, and then you the, the tablet's big enough so anybody walking by can look at what is the score. Both players look at it. Don't see. That's why I was looking for more of a mechanical solution. Don't get me wrong. The ITC Battles app is essential. I can't play with it at this point. But I was thinking, okay, not everybody wants the app or uses the app, so, or their or their phone battery life is utter garbage. Well, not only that, I don't know if you have this problem, but it seems to when the ITC app is running. I'd also, I don't see messages come through. So I didn't realize something like texted me like 30 minutes ago. I'm like, Oops, sorry. <laughs> yeah. 
so there is something to be said about at uh at an event table taking something like a whiteboard and having it marked off with tape or mm. something other something noticeable and it's split into player A, player B down the middle and here's one checkbox for hold one, one checkbox for hold two, one check like that kind of thing where it accommodates for how many objectives you're holding. It's something like that where it's a physical representation that all that has to be done is dry erase marker. Dot, 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 dot. I, I yeah. understand players can still forget about stuff, but yeah, that's, but it's funny because uh, years ago with a, a previous job, I did all this research because we had a lot of magnetic dry race boards for keeping track of things and memory, how you can get those print custom printed. So the biggest problems we always needed big ones. I kind of want to go back and take a look how small could they make them because you really don't need a full like four foot by six foot size one. I mean, you could get like a small one. It's like tablet size. That would work great. So now you'd instead of just dry erase board, you can also just um, move the magnetic, uh, you know, wherever your number is, you just keep moving it to the left from left to right. And then so this is what my score is. So that could be another thing to do too. Mm -hmm. and then the only physical thing that the players have to worry about are all right flip over your secondary cards and move this little thing on the screen so that could be another way to everybody's on the same same page on what uh scoring is i just yeah blew my mind when i heard that how often that come up and it it also blows my mind how often it does happen at tournaments and i just especially when it's supposed to be uh, experienced tournament players and I, I'm doing air quotes on the radio and I'm looking, I'm like, how did you guys mess this up so bad? And why are you telling me after the game's over <laughs> that there's a problem? <laughs> you know, that turn two, turn three, at the very minimum, turn three, if it's your turn to make a decision if I got to do the gambit or not, I know the gambits are uh, Hail Marys, but you should know what the score is. I mean, that's just bizarre to me, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But otherwise, I I generally feel that the game has gotten a little bit better since it's a everything is usually five points or it has specific triggers of, oh, it's two points for this, three points for that, four points for this. And it's an it's just a simple scaling of numbers. Sure, they can get wordy with it, but it's a. Uh, it's still an overall thing of, yeah, we can easily keep track of score as long as we pay attention. Indeed. So anyway, that was just my thought on the subject. Last thing, we're going to look at our crystal ball. Uh, ninth edition, every six months, we got a new mission pack. I think we're due for a Leviathan refresh on the uh, deck of cards. Maybe. Just maybe. Yeah, for me, I don't feel it. I, for some reason, I just don't feel like they're, they're going to... If they do, there might be a few like edits that'll be in the da- data slate, kind of like they did last time, where they these missions need, need to be adjusted point-wise. But I have a feeling these missions are here to stay for quite some time. Oh, yeah. And I honestly think that these mission decks are going to be kind of evergreen things where you get to choose which version of the missions you're using because it doesn't change 
the core system of the game all that much. It just changes how you score. And sure, it has to be agreed upon for both players to use the same mission deck. Like if they have some kind of mission set where it's better for melee armies. Um, and the Leviathan deck is what we're using. Sure, I'll kind of groan about not using the the preferred mission deck. But at that point, it's still 40k, and I'm still here to show up and play. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I just, my gut tells me there isn't anything coming, but um, never say never. And it's just one of those things where between the balance data slate, there's always a big change right before LVO. And LVO's got to kind of scramble and be like, oh, okay, this is what we're doing differently. Or we're not yeah. ignoring it. So there's always this, like asterisks. Well, the meta that at LVO is not the meta that will be moving forward. And then the week after LVO, everybody's been ready to try something new. So, Yep, and speaking of trying something new, at my last 40k game where I, with my Chaos Knights, um, I felt a little bad. I beat up a Grey Knight player who brought three Land Raiders. Oh. But the thing I'm getting at is what I saw outside of the game while I was there, I thought the Imperialis minis were going to be small. These things are absolutely tiny. <laughs> yeah, me too. And it's funny because I found, you know, my, my, what's left of my Epic collection. I have a few, I know I sold some pieces off of it, so I don't think I have a full army of anything at this point, but it's funny what, what I haven't thrown out. Like sometimes, when that game was originally sold, you were forced to buy large packets of stuff. And sometimes armies were paired together. So I have a smattering of orcs and space marines in addition to the Eldar that I was playing at the time. But when I saw the new stuff at the store, and I remember, oh, they scaled it up. It was used to be 6 millimeters, now 8 millimeter. But that's still a 20%, 30% increase. I'm looking, I'm like, wow, not only are they tiny, but even the buildings are, are super small. I think it's because of the fact that they're building this off of the scale that is Titanicus, because the the terrain is the same exact size as the stuff for Titanicus. True, but for some reason, and I think what what the difference is too, because one of the things we, the old terrain for Epic when it first came out, were actually cardboard and had a plastic roof, and that's what kept the cardboard from shifting around. And then it wasn't until later. It came out with plastic uh, terrain pieces. But um, because of the scale of the game, people kind of went more on the wild side. So they had larger buildings. Like these would be buildings that would never fit on a 40K table. So maybe that's, I have to look at maybe that's something in the rule book or just the Titanicus rule book that all these buildings are supposed to be this small. I don't know. It just felt like, because they're modular, you could just build whatever the hell you want. From from my little bit of delving into uh, into Titanicus a while back, the buildings are supposed to be that small. Okay. To to give you a feeling of how large the Titans actually are, and it's kind of hard for me to admit this, but looking at the tiny little Marines on that sprue mm-hmm. that are smaller than a a forty k Gretchen. Oh yeah, they're tiny. It kind of makes me want to go, yes, I have Imperial Fists. 
here is my tiny rhino. Yeah. Here's my tiny marines. No, I really like the game, and um, that's what got me into 40k because it was. I remember distinctly, I was playing a game, and a couple of guys wandered over that played 40k, and it's actually some of the more competitive players. They they kept staring at my army. I'm like, what? And they finally he goes, is that a viper? And I'm like, yeah, it's part of the Windrider host attachment. So you have to, you know, show him the card. And he goes, yeah, that model doesn't exist in 40K yet. And at that point, it was just like second edition, third edition. So it was wild to see that there were units that didn't exist, that only existed in Epic. And there's there's few of them now. I mean, a lot of the Tyranid monsters that we see in the more recent codices came from Epic, but they still don't have the um, Dominatrix, which is the super... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for is basically the ultra synapse Lord. So uh, that's not yet in 40 K, but other, there were quite a few other buildings and whatnot and uh, other models that were unique. That came, the autark actually came from Epic I'm trying to think what else. There are a couple models that are unique to the game. So I was just like, Oh, that's kind of cool. But yeah, I enjoyed it. And that's what got me into the game. And I kind of wish that, I get it, they're doing Horus Heresy, so I'm not really ready to jump on board with the new version. I was hoping there'd be, like, Demonic Legions, because I still have a lot of the demon models from Epic, and I could just play with those. But um, from what I understand, the demon legion rules in Horus Heresy are a joke. So I'm not expecting much. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm... The scale of these boxes, this will be my last little tangent on this. Reading the description, this kit builds 106 epic scale legion legions Astartes miniatures split over 22 bases. That is math that just throws me through a loop. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild. It's it's really cool. That's why I kind of miss it. I'm like, oh, oh maybe... It was cool though. I mean, it just you just had these, especially when you saw like orc players, and they just had hordes. I mean, just like speed freaks. Like uh, the bikes were maybe the size of your thumb, and then mm -hmm. you um you could put the base was yeah base was maybe twenty millimeters by five whatever it was, and then you could fit three bikes onto the base, and they had that, and then you had your and then basically. The way orcs worked was the, the clo you know, they had a mob up. You know, they, they stayed close together, they their leadership bubble. So you have, like, a Gargant surrounded by, like, speed freaks, and then all these boys just kind of treeping along the sides of it. It was, just, it was really cool to see. And then the guy who, he actually, um, he taught me all I know about uh, building terrain. He built all the buildings, and what he did was kind of like, you know how if you took a, a box, like a yeah, like the box to one of your games, right? And you lift the lid. Mm -hmm. That's how he built them all. So what happened was the building was fully structured. And then when you took shots at it and took damage, you lifted it up. It would be the bottom half of the lid is just the base and then all the ruined walls. It was really cool. It was a lot of fun. And then, of course, all the blast markers. And you get the cardboard ones from GW, but we actually took the time and uh, made blast markers out of steel wool. So they, took a be they could take a beating on, like, cotton. And um, you just, yeah, you just walk by the table and you see all the smoke and the explosion markers. You're like, this is so cool looking. So, yeah, sorry, I just needed that tangent because the more and more <laughs> I kind of 
the more and more I look at it, the more and more I'm just like, they're small and they're tiny. It's so easy to paint them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it, actually, it's it's easy to paint them, but it's also difficult to same. You have to kind of retrain how to paint because it is different because uh, they are so small that you have to learn, okay, what do I actually, what paints actually work? And like, oh, this ink, I'm like, oh my God, the ink covered the whole, <laughs> they're like drowning in it. So that was a little too much. So oh, Oh, yeah. I already know for a fact that if I were to have Space Marines in this game, it would be Imperial Fists. And I have a really, really bright yellow ink, well, enamel finish that I would just go, all right, cool. Uh, mask, airbrush. Yeah. Okay, we're good. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm like, wow. Yeah, I didn't have an airbrush when I played Epic. It wasn't, that was until I started building terrain is when I first bought my um, first airbrush. So now I'm thinking, wow, airbrushing Epic. What would that would look like? You know, that would get some really easy Zenithal highlights. So I don't know. It's one of those things. I look forward to like reapproaching that game again, but um, I need something more than Marines. <laughs> something yeah. a little more. Yeah, I'm still iffy because I want to play just Knights in Epic. You could do that. That that'd be cool. Yeah, but I don't. As far as I can tell, I don't have rules for my Warmaster Titans. So give it time. That one I could see them doing because they have the models for it. Uh, yeah, for me, the biggest thing was they had a preview page, back page of a White Dwarf. This is all the new stuff that's coming out for Epic. Like, this looks awesome. They had, like, they were going to show off Admech um, vehicles. They had all, like, the what's now the land train, I think, in Forge World. Uh, it's only for Horus Heresy. You know, those really long um, transports that look like Cadillacs. Mm-hmm. And they had those. They had a whole bunch of marine uh, heavy support weapons. And the craziest thing was, of course, they had Exodites. So they actually had Eldar riding dinosaurs. I was like, this is going to be so cool. Never came out. <laughs> Discontinued the line. I was like, no! They've never womp, womp. Light of day. Yeah. So. Anyway, that was my one tangent. Sorry. I rambled. <laughs> Nope, you're good. Like I jumped on that too. Yeah, it was a very, it's yeah, it was a nostalgic, real fun of the game, and um, I, I'm kind of watching it from afar. I'm like, I'm not ready to jump in yet because I've been burned. So, but I think your idea, yeah, playing an all knights list would be pretty cool. They did have the larger titans. They had the flipping. Oh, I can't remember what it's called. It's not an abominant. It was something basic. It was the, the the walking church? That thing was huge. Oh yeah, the imperator titan. Yeah, that thing was awesome. You saw one of yeah. those on the table. You're just like, uh oh, we're in for a, we're in for a game. Yeah, no, I as far as I can tell, they don't have the Imperator Titan rules in Epic this time around yet, because the biggest things that they have are the are just the Warlords. But I have two of those, mm. <laughs> so yeah, I I could bring double Warlord Titan to a game and be like, yeah, this is all I got. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Probably was like get some of those titans and get some green stuff because at the old days it was you, the titans were the same for chaos and imperial, but then you bought it like you had like an upgrade sprue for chaos and then you could throw on all like the demonic heads and tails and crazy weapons and stuff like that. And a lot of that stuff you can get bits pretty easily for it. So I'm probably just like kind of like how you did your knights with. Uh, <laughs> putting Bellacor's wings on one of your knights. So something like that. I would be like, yep, I, I'm a traitor legion. Let's go with forward with that. 
Yeah. Luckily enough, the the current Titanicus models, part of the plastic sprue sprue options, are Traitor Legion marks, so it makes it a little easier. Oh, it does. Okay, cool. I didn't realize it did that. But yes, I, I think that's officially the end of the tangent. <laughs> yes, I think we'll end it there. because. <laughs> So like I said, uh, next week we'll hopefully have a data slate to talk about, but in the interim, um, any other breaking news, we'll of course get it out to you as fast as we can on all our social media pages. So in the meantime, my name's Eric. I'm Robert. Thank you for listening to the Exterminatus Podcast. Hey listeners, this is Raymond with the Exterminatus Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR Cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament. You can just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out. They're sturdy, the boxes help protect your models, and if you when you order, they come fast, the order is right, and for a better price than the other guy. So go to krcases.com, and when you place your order, be sure to mention the Exterminatus podcast. Is your beer keg boring? Does it not have enough tentacles coming out of it? Does it not taste as funny as you remember because you didn't put a tear in it? Well, the wonderful makers of the Necro Nom 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 to replace your average pizza decided to come out with a, another book of the Lovecraft Cock. So they're from reddukegames.com and it will guide you through 78 different kinds of cocktails to summon a demon, summon a space bug. Who knows? Either way, it's going to be a very, very wonderful time and we would highly recommend that you try to not ingest too many while at the gaming table because we don't know exactly what's going to happen when you roll Perils of the Warp or you roll a natural one on your persuasion check if you decide to play indeed so if you're looking for fanciful drinks go ahead and grab the lovecraft cocktails by the madmen at redduke the makers of the necro nom nom are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them if either of these is true contact white crow studios and get your models painted by a college trained professional painter you can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook.